the, the little phrase that I've been using regarding Noah was that he was not only a sailor, but he was a savior because of the fact that everything started over, <clears throat> everything was wiped out, Noah saved the human race. When the flood was done, there was no one on the planet except for Noah and his wife and their three sons and their three sons' wives. There were eight individuals. And that's the only, I mean, they had to go anywhere they wanted. They could start anywhere they chose. And in Genesis 10, the story of that is actually told of how they spread out. They went different directions with their different families and their offsprings. It's called the Table of Nations. It's very interesting to look at the history that you read in school and that you've learned along the way and read about the spreading out of the three sons of Noah in Genesis 10 and the different people groups that come out of these three different genetic pools. And it's, it's quite fascinating. <clears throat> but anyway, we can call Noah a savior in the sense that he saved he saved us. He saved life for us. He made life available for us because everybody else was wiped out. If Noah had been wicked along with everybody else and God hadn't given God hadn't been impressed by him and, and he hadn't been received God's favor, we wouldn't be here. So we all owe old Noah a pat on the back. And a and a thankful thankful a, a thanks a thank you for what he did, and so uh, today what I'd like to do is just simply to draw some parallels between this this event and action of Noah and that of Jesus, and of course the one is physical. We all understand this. Noah is not our savior from our sin, but Noah is an image or a picture of what that Savior means. And therefore, we can kind of add to the color and the shape and the background of our understanding of Jesus saving us from the overwhelming flood of sin by thinking of Noah and the safety of the ark, which we talked about last week, and the physical symbolizing the spiritual not simply survival like we talked about last week, not simply shelter, but now I'm talking about starting over because that's what happened when Noah came out of the ark, that they, he started over. And this is, this is an astounding thing. I want to just uh, throw up two verses here. The first one is the statement of God to Adam in the garden. And he said, Adam, get started. You're the only person, you and your wife. So I want you, I've given you a whole planet to populate, to subjugate, to make your home. You can customize it any way you choose. You can slice it and dice it. You can do whatever you need to do. Take care of it, but subdue it, fill it, and increase yourself. This was God's way of saying to Adam, this is, a, this is the, your future. This is your destiny. This, this is your opportunity. Get started. Of course, then Genesis chapter 6 and chapter 7, these things were all wiped out and annihilated. And once you look at this verse in Genesis 9, the Lord now speaking to Noah after the flood. It's identical. He said the same thing, Noah. 
Now, this isn't get started. This is get restarted. Start over, Noah. There's a lot to do. There's a lot ahead of you. Everything in the past is history. It's gone. It's been, it's been wiped out. And so you get now a new opportunity for the future. And so he said the same thing to Noah that he did to Adam. This idea, this reality of starting over new is the story of the Bible, especially of the New Testament, especially of the Lord Jesus. His birth, uh, his work is called a new work. His work in us is called a new birth. And over and over and over, this is the image that the New Testament uses for us who follow Christ. That we are on a new track, we're in a new life, we have a new future, and we have a new way to live. Uh, I just go through here and I see I left scripture references off. I think they're there in your, in your sermon notes. This is in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, you don't put old stuff in, you don't put new stuff in old containers. They, of course, use wineskins. To us today with glass, glassware, I guess none of this makes any difference. But to those people who use literally the stomach of an animal as uh, a canteen, uh, this, this was a big deal. And so Jesus said, look, if you've got new wine, you need a new container to be able to expand with the new wine as it works and so forth. The idea that sometimes a new idea is so powerful that you can't live out your old life and embrace a new idea. So when I become a Christian, I have to change. I got I to gotta put it, my life in a different wineskin, a different container. And I don't mean the physical body talking about the, the rules and the structure by which I live. Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 22, this is my covenant and this is a new thing. This is a new covenant for you. Um, this is what Jesus said to um, Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We're familiar with this. This Greek word is very interesting. That's translated often born again. It, anothen. It means up. It means again. Like a second time. It also means new or a new. Um, and so... You can translate it if you cho chose. You have to be born from above rather than again. There's nothing wrong with translating it born again. That's perfectly legitimate. It's also perfectly legitimate to say you, are, you must be born from above. You've already been born from below. That's no issue. And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Um, You've got to be born again. You've got to be born on oath in, from above. And Nicodemus didn't quite get it, the idea of born again, he kept thinking in the physical, uh, of the physical nature, and he said, I can't, I can't be born again. I'm an old man. I can't go back to my mother and my mother's belly. I and Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. And, and he goes on and he says to Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. You've already been through that. You already did the fleshly birth. You know, you're 50 years old or whatever it what might be. But spirit, Gives birth to spirit. This is a new thing, Nicodemus. This is a this is a, a a new beginning that I'm talking about. Not not a beginning of the flesh. This isn't um, going back and, and getting a, doing an exercise course and getting in shape and starting in again. And this is a new life emerging from within you, from your mind and your heart and your soul and your will. This is a new a birth of your spirit. 
I used to think one way when my spirit was old and dead. Now I think a new way because my spirit has been made new and alive and I've been given the life of God's spirit within my spirit. It's a new thing. The angel said, this is Acts chapter 5, go stand in the temple courts. He just busted these guys out of jail and because they put him in jail for preaching. And the angel said, go right back out and preach. But preach about the new life that God has made available. This is 2 Corinthians 5, a very familiar passage. We've quoted this many times. If you come to Christ, if you, are, are, if you identify yourself with the life of Christ, if you willingly submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ, you are a new person. You may not look any different. You may not live in a different house. You may still work at the same job, but you're a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. Paul, uh, speaking here in the book of Galatians, says, you know, these rules and regulations by which we live, they may have meaning, they may give us a sense of culture, but ultimately, all that matters to God was were we made new because there's problems with the old. God has to let, God has to somehow enable, enable God has to somehow be enabled to wipe clean our slate of the old, just like the earth was wiped clean of all the old stuff in the flood of Noah. And Noah started out new. So it says in Galatians 6, what counts is a new creation. That's what God looks at and looks for. Put on the new self. This is Ephesians 4. Put on the new self, created to be like God, created in His image, created in His righteousness, made new in how you think. You cannot follow God you cannot walk off like Noah walked off the ark into a new life and still have the, the, the quotation we hear is the stinking thinking of your old life. You cannot do that because God don't, God don't let you do it. When God moves in, he, he gives you all kinds of new faith. The song we just sang, let faith rise up, let faith rise up among, um, within me, is, is a prayer that we would be made new in the attitude of our minds. This is what um, we're told in the book of Hebrews. That when Jesus died on the cross. And they were told about this in the gospel. When his body died. There on, on the cross. There was an earthquake. The sun went black. Rocks shook. Graves split open. Some weird stuff. But up in the temple. Way up on the mount. The temple mount. Where still today. The Jews and the Arabs. Uh, fight over possession of. Up there, way up on the hill, in that big, huge building, that big, thick curtain that covered the whole front so that the holy place, the holy room, was sealed off from the most holy of holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And nobody ever went through that curtain. Once a year, the high priest would go around the curtain at the edge. Nobody, the curtain was never opened. To seal off the presence of God from the presence of the people. And then it says on that moment when Jesus' body died, that gigantic curtain starting at the top just, just split open. And now, look what he says. We go through the curtain. It's not around the end of the curtain. We don't crawl under the curtain. We go through the very spot where the curtain used to hang. Jesus opened up a new way for us. To live a new way for us to be saved. And, and, and this, is, this is the story of the New Testament. This is the image the New Testament gives us. 
First Peter, in his mercy, he has given you a new birth, which is a birth into hope. Okay, why do we have to start over new? Well, it's because the, the flood and the threat from the flood it will kill us off. And what it represents is a threat to our very existence. So the symbolism in Noah's day uh, was that of the environment. The whole planet shook and convulsed and trembled. And you know, um, Noah realized, and the, uh, the, Noah realized after the Lord had explained to him that he was going to destroy life, that there was really no way that this situation could be helped. In other words, there was, there was no cure for this sickness that had come over the earth. It says all of the imaginations of men's hearts were continually evil. This is like all the time. It was just overwhelming. It was never a break. There was robberies and rapes and murders, and there, were, there was just the kind of stuff that we cringe from. I guess it was just nonstop. And the Lord said, look, you know, I'm going to wipe this out by water. And Noah realized that this was a flood that could not be averted. In other words, this punishment by the Lord was going to happen. And it didn't matter if you built a dam. It didn't matter if you built a levee. It didn't matter if you threw sandbags down. It didn't matter if you tried to divert some flow or if you tried to work technologically some way. You know, we've done some impressive things as human beings to avert disasters, to um, uh, alleviate suffering, um, diseases, um, tyranny in, in politics, um, all, kinds of, all kinds of things that we've done to stop threats. But let me tell you, when, as it says in Genesis 7, the sky convulsed and water came down and the earth convulsed and water came up, you better get an ark. You better have access to an ark because there's no dam you can build. There's nothing that you can do to prevent it or to stop it or even alleviate it. It was a threat to the, to the existence of every person. If they didn't get on the ark, they were going to drown. That's an image of sin. If you don't get in the ark of Christ, you're going to die. The Bible uses the word destruction. The Bible uses the word perishing. Um, it represents in our day two things that I will mention. The one is the nature of sin. Um, the nature of sin within us, the potential of sin, is so horrible that the Bible says, this is in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, <clears throat> nobody can fathom it. No scientist in a laboratory, no psychologist in a in their, in their, on their couch can even understand the amount of deceit that is present in the human heart. That's what the scripture tells us. You know, every time we have one of these school shootings or mass shootings or mass killings or whatever, we all, every one of us, we pull our hair out and we say, why? Why would somebody do this? And we look at each other and we say, I don't know why. And there's there is no one who can say why. That's what Jeremiah is saying to us. Who can understand it? It says in verse 9. The nature of sin can pull any of us and all of us until in, uh, un, to the place where it destroys us. It's an, it is an existential threat. 
to our well-being. And then, on top of what's within us, inherited from Adam's fall, there is what Jesus called a personal enemy. He called him the, the great Satan, the, the adversary. The guy who will hide in the trail and ambush you when you walk by and bust you over the skull with a branch. That's the Satan. The opponent. And Jesus said, Matthew 10, 28. You don't need to be afraid of people that can kill your body. You don't need to be afraid of war. You don't need to be afraid of flying in an airplane or riding in a car or any of the things by which you could physically meet death. You don't need to be afraid of that. That's what Jesus said. But you better be afraid. Now, now, now you think about this. This is coming from a man who said to Peter, get out on the water and walk, boy. You don't need to be afraid of a little water. You're not going to drown. This is the guy who came up to people over and over, we read about it, and said, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear not. And there he said, this is what he says. You better be afraid of the one who can destroy your soul. Matthew 10, 28. This is Jesus. I better listen with both ears. I better listen with my soul and my mind and my heart and my will. Because Jesus said, here's something you better be afraid of. That's... The threat. Being saved. Just the parallel here. There's only one way to, there was only one way back in Noah's day. And the Bible tells us in the book of 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 1 Peter that Noah was a preacher. Which says to me that Noah tried to persuade people to get in the ark with him. The idea of preaching is that of persuading. It's not just simply explaining things. It goes beyond that. It's actually trying to, to reach men, to, to people, to, to influence them. That's preaching. Noah was a preacher. So that means that he tried. He witnessed. He explained. He said, look, um, there's going to come a day and the sky's going to get dark and, and water's going to start coming. And... Nobody believed him, and nobody, but nobody, only his family. But anybody could have escaped, but they would have had to enter the ark. It's the only way. Now, you know, you know what Jesus said. Jesus said, there's only one way you're going to be saved, and that's through me. Jesus referred to himself in many times as the world's only Savior. I am the gate, he said, and the sheep have to go in and out through me. And if you don't get in and out, go in and out through me, you, you will not be saved. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 10. So there's, there's, there's simply the parallel there that we cannot miss. That Jesus is the only way, and this is how we enter the ark. This is what the Bible tells us over and over. That the ramp that goes up to the ark by which I walk into that door through which I'm saved uses these two words. 
I don't know what the difference is. I'm going to describe the difference as well, the one being um, maybe a little more mental, intellectual, where the other one re- involves sort of your whole entire life, letting loose and letting go, and just trusting. But they're related. You know, if somebody said to you, when you eat, do you chew or do you swallow? What would you say? Um, which of those, I mean, it's like this. To eat, with, to eat without, to chew without swallowing is useless. To swallow without chewing is impossible. Right? So we're kind of in a dilemma where if we want to eat and fill our belly, we got to chew and we have to swallow. It's believe and it's receive. The Bible uses both of these words over and over. About the Jews, it says they didn't receive him. Well, why didn't they receive him? What does that mean? They didn't believe him. They didn't believe in him. It's 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 both of these are used, as I'm saying, interchangeably. Here's a familiar verse that we all know. God loved the world. And so if the world responds by believing, they will be saved. They will not perish in the flood. They will not face the destroyer who can destroy both body and soul in hell. But if you do not believe, that is exactly what your fate will be. Jesus said to his father, I gave them the, I gave them the message and they received it. But then he turns around and says they believed it. They believed in me. They received what I said. Here's a, 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 again in this same chapter where he said, I pray for, I'm thankful, and I'm envisioning everybody who's going to believe all down through the ages. Acts chapter 10, it says, every, every, every part of the Old Testament testifies or explains about the, the receiving and the believing in me. It's always been there in the Bible. It's there from the old, it's there in the new. Just as you've received Christ Jesus. This is how we get in the ark. This is, this is how it is that we, that we are saved. I don't care which of those words you use. Use them both. Because they're both part of what are, are necessary. I had, a, I had a wedding yesterday. And uh, it wasn't here. It was in a barn over east of Lancaster. And uh, as the reception started in this wedding... The most amazing thing happened. This is on the upstairs of this old barn, which has been cleaned up and decorated beautifully. And, and there's just all kinds of tables with streamers and lights. And it's very, very beautiful. And uh, the, re- the reception had just started, and people were chattering, and there's music playing. And all of a sudden, I hear this, <gasps> like this. And, <clears throat> and I looked up, and everything just grew quiet. I looked up, and way up on the, one of the beams, about 20 feet up in the air, above the barn floor where it used to be the hay mile up in there, um, way up on this, this beam up here is a cat. And this cat is literally looking over the edge, going like this, and it wants to jump. It's very obvious. You could tell it wants to jump, but it's scared stiff. And there were some ladies in their beautiful dresses and the reception, and they're down here like, ha, 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 and they're running back and forth. And it just got... Quiet. And, and I'm thinking to myself, 
first of all, how did this cat get up there? And I, I know that if they get up, they can get down, but they don't always know that. And you know how cats get stuck in trees all the time. And my concern was, not the cat, <laughs> I just wanted to go home. Because <laughs> I, I had to get home by midnight so I could be here this morning. I'm like, I don't want this cat sitting here holding us hostage for about a 30 minutes or an hour till something just can be figured out. And this cat would literally lean out and people would gasp. And a couple of times people said, no, 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 almost like it was, you know, it was hovering over the Grand Canyon or something. And I got tired of it. I mean, I just thought, okay, uh, there, there seems to be no way that this situation is going to end. So somebody's going to have to do something. So I just got from my table and I climbed up a ladder that was, there's a, a, an old ladder that goes up to the hay mile, to the beam, and I climbed up the ladder, and here was this cat, and this cat just came right to me, it just seemed like it was happy, it just came right into my arms, and I thought, okay, I can get this dilemma done, we can move on, and I can finish what I have to do and go home. So I swung out over the ladder like this, and instantly that cat went rigid, put its claws right into me. <laughs> And I realize, when I'm hanging out like this, with the, this thing will work. <laughs> the cat received me. The cat believed me. I'll say it this way. The cat, when I came up there and said, do you want, you want my help? He just came right in my arms. He believed. But then when I actually hung out over the edge and went to descend, the cat did not receive what my rescue involved. He wanted to be rescued. What I didn't know, had no idea of this, there was a back stairway that came up <laughs> to the old hay mile. Apparently what happened is cat must have walked up the steps, got up there, then somebody came along on the other side of the barn and closed this door. I didn't even know there was a door. And so this cat was trapped up there. I mean, it couldn't go back down the steps, so it was contemplating jumping, but it was fearful. But I'm just simply using it as an illustration how this cat instantly and gladly received the fact that I was here to help it. But then when it saw what was going to be involved, the trust of hanging on to me and just being still while I went down the ladder. Mm -mm, nope. I'll tell you next week. Now, um, well, what happened was somebody that, was, that knew the barn, one of the families, I guess, that ran the place or something, they came over and came up the back steps and opened the door. And they sa I said, ha ha, look at this, there's a door. And so I got down the steps with the cat. And it'll probably take me two weeks to get all the cat hair off my suit because it was like I was wearing a rug when I got down there. You cannot just believe with your mind. You have to receive. You have to trust Christ. Even if it seems like at times He's hanging over the brink of hell with your life in His arms, you've got to trust Him. Not just to simply to believe Him, but to trust Him. So let me close with this. The Bible says that as far as Adam, the thing that he did, which it calls a trespass, he stepped over the line, it brought death. To every person. But 
referring to the kind of thing that Noah did that was symbolized what Jesus did was that this one righteous act gave life to all men. This is what we call being saved. This is what it means that I, I have to re- believe and I have to receive um, what Jesus did for me. And that gives me a whole new future when I enter into this Savior of Christ, this Savior Christ. I have a whole new future. The old stuff is scrubbed off of the, floor, the, the, the map of my life. I may have consequences. I may still have to live with things that I've done or things that have happened. But let me tell you what, my future is, is completely different. That's what Jesus offers because he's our Savior. If you are here today and you've thought about it or you've been religious or you've just been a nice person, but you've never received, you need to do it. You need to sit down, kneel down. It don't matter if somebody is there with you or not. You need to get right with the Lord and you need to do that by saying, I not only believe, I receive. Let's, let's pray together for a moment. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Remind us of the consequences and of the, of the need to make you our Savior. We pray. And let us realize that um, as many of us as there may ever be throughout all of history, the ark is big enough. There's room. In the ark, there's room at the cross because of your great and endless love. We want to come to you today and say, O Lord, take me into your ark. I receive this Christ, Jesus, as my Savior. Amen.